The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. So tomorrow marks a year from a murder which appalled, shocked the country, that of the young school teacher Ashling Murphy, which provoked an extraordinary reaction, not just of horror and sympathy throughout the Irish people, but a desire that something would be done to make Ireland safer for women. Sadly, after Ashling Murphy died, there were more women who were killed in Ireland last year. Sandra Boyd, Mary Birkin, Ruth Losha, Louise Muckle, Lisa Thompson, Larissa Serban, Miriam Burns, Lisa Cash, Iona Michelle Pakala, and Sharon Crean. And this year, here in Cork, Bruna Fonseca also died. So to discuss that, and not to discuss anything that might in any way interfere with any legal cases which are pending or investigations by the Gardaí, but to talk about how Ireland has changed in improving women's safety over the last year, if it has at all. We're joined by Nolene Blackwell from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and by Professor Louise Crowley from the UCD, UCC excuse me, School of Law, also Director of the Bystander Intervention Programme. Louise, have things, do you think, have attitudes changed? Has there been any improvement in the safety of lives of Irish women over the last year? Hi, Matt. Well, that list you've just shared um, would suggest immediately no. It's absolutely devastating to hear of these women's names and how their lives have all ended um, as a result of gender-based violence. But I think it's really important to acknowledge equally that society is very aware of this issue in a way I believe it hasn't been historically we are recognising this right across society. People are talking about it. People are outraged. Obviously, that is of no use to women who are killed, to their families who are devastated. But I think undoubtedly the devastating murder of Ashing Murphy, as you mentioned last year, sparked something you know, in the Irish mindset. And I think that there has been a, a huge desire and appetite for things to change. And the question as to whether or not anything has changed on the face of it, women are still devastatingly being murdered. But on the ground, my sense is that there is a real recognition of the of the importance of the support services. There has been an investment. There is a huge commitment by the government for what that is worth, for a vision for change. We've seen that in the national st- strategy. And in terms of education of the whole of society, I can certainly attest to not only the appetite for education, but the real take up of it across all elements of society, from secondary schools to third level, to the industry, to workplaces and to sporting organisations. But this needs to be supported and all of these changes need to be supported for us to really make change meaningful. Nolene Blackwell, do you think have things changed over the last year? I would agree with what Louise said about the effect of Ashling Murphy's killing on society has been, has lasted um, in a way that uh, other tragedies and horrors haven't. And I suppose we all here just recognise 
what a difficult time this anniversary time must be for Ashling Murphy's family and friends and our deepest sympathy to all of them again. But Indeed. in some ways there was that there has been a sense, there was a sense straight after her death and it has lasted that the that it has struck home what is actually in the government's programme for government, that sexual, domestic and gender-based violence is an epidemic in our society that can and must be dealt with. And that there's a recognition that there's two bits to this. One is the bit where government has to lead, where it has to keep and it has to put in place um, the vision that Louise spoke about, and it then has to implement it and it has to put resources behind it. And then there's the other bit in our society that we have to stay worried about this. We have to stay concerned about it. And I, I think that is actually the case. There is more a recognition um, amongst parents of young people that uh, their children are not getting the emotional development they need in our schools in order to deal with the horrors of abuse that come to them through pornography. That there is a sense in which our our court systems are are uh, you know are, are, are even our support systems. There aren't enough refuge spaces. There aren't enough uh, people to support those who've experienced uh, domestic, sexual, or gender-based violence. But that there is there's a move towards uh, towards more pressure being put on that, and more people saying this isn't an optional extra anymore. It is an essential. Uh, and the other way I think we can see that there is some bit of progress is that every year, both on the National 24-Hour Helpline, which we run the Rape Crisis Helpline for Women's Aid in relation to the Domestic Violence Helpline, and the Guards, more people are disclosing, more people are speaking out, uh, in Louisa's own area of third level education, there seems to be a much greater recognition that we must call out uh, sexual harassment, sexual violence, wherever it happens. Yeah, Louise, could it be that rather than there actually being more of these incidents happening, that what actually is happening is that more of them are actually being reported, that there's more confidence amongst people that if they do report, that if women do report, they feel that something will be done to support and help them? Yes. So while it's obviously impossible to be 100% certain about that, that is generally the feeling on the ground that what we have in introducing these conversations, in allowing people to better understand what gender, sexual gender and domestic violence looks like, that people recognise their circumstances and realise that they can talk about this, that if they speak up, they will be heard and they will be believed. And as we improve and enhance our support services, better finance them, we better educate the, fir the first line responders, especially the Gardaí, and we enhance our criminal justice system so that people know that if they make a complaint, they will be heard, but it will be processed appropriately. And people who are convicted, you know, will receive appropriate punishment, that people can come forward and be brave in, in raising these issues, um, in, in allowing people to better understand, people will come forward more likely. And so when we try to assess the impact of all of the developments that we are talking about, both from the government and at local level, that more reporting is actually actually a really good and welcome thing because it means that people can feel that they will be supported if they speak up. So, you know, in, in, in assessing whether we are making progress, it is really important not to be put off by higher rates of incidents as are reported because it actually speaks to an ability to share and to be heard. 
But things that the government promised Louise last year as part of this zero-tolerance strategy to tackle domestic, sexual and gender-based violence were things like more refuge spaces, more penalisation of offences, training of judges on how to deal with victims in the legal system. Have those things happened or are they just words? Um. I I could generously say they are happening. I mean, the commitments are there in our national strategy. There is new legislation proposed that will also um, increase the the penalties. Um, The the training of the judiciary is in hand. There is a proposal for the separate legal representation of victims of sexual violence. All of these have been proposed within a very vast and commendable national strategy. Um, We can only hope that the government will follow through on this. It it seems to be very high on the agenda. That is my sense. Um, Minister uh, Helen McEntee is very committed to this area and um, Minister Harris who is standing in for her at the moment seems equally, um, bo- and that is it's reflected in his commitment to this issue at third level um, and the, the development of education and, and policy requirements at third level. So I mean I would be very hopeful that the actions will follow. We also have commitments internationally under the Istanbul Convention that we must comply with and also in delivering our recent domestic violence legislation we have amended a lot of our provisions to comply with those expectations of best practice. So there has been some development in relation to the refuge spaces. Far from enough, we need much more substantial commitments and they are proposed. Um, It is really important that the pressure stays on government to follow through on these commitments because they are absolutely critical to supporting survivors of sexual violence and also to ensure that those who commit um, violence recognise and are punished for what they do because that is really important. Reaching those who perpetrate violence or who are inclined to perpetrate violence is really difficult. For example, through education, they are the last people to come to the table. How do we start these conversations? You know, there's such toxic masculinity visible right across social media platforms. We have to be able to tackle that. And I think that the government has to be really strong in developing the laws and the implications for those who breach those laws and that has to be really evident for those who are committing this behaviour. Nolene Blackwell, earlier you referenced pornography and I understand exactly why you did so but maybe broadening it out a little bit to misogyny and given what Louise has just said about social media, I mean how worrying is it for you to see that you know, international people like this guy Andrew Tate who's currently arrested in jail in Romania gets a platform internationally and that this is also that he has, it would appear, his supporters in Ireland as well and that this is part of a culture where that there is, rather than people being educated by their families or by their schools, they're picking up this sort of stuff online instead. Yeah, so he is, he has become visible in the media But I can tell you for certain sure, we know in Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, we hear on the helpline and we know through the education work we do with teachers and other frontline responders and and youth workers that that kind of abusive um, objectifying of women that Andrew Tate uses as one of his signature tunes is repeated again and again, and we are not hearing about it on the national media. People will not be reporting the kind of pornography that people are being subjected to. And the trouble is, the trouble is, first of all, that it is also abusive of real people, a lot of this pornography is, uh, in terms of the creation of it. But the other trouble is where people mistake it for reality. Uh, And whatever chance adults 
older adults have of being able to temper what they see with uh, uh, with lived experience or with other understanding of respect, of healthy relationships. We are giving our children and young people and our young adults and yeah, a lot, a lot of vulnerable adults as well of all ages. We are giving them uh, a such bad uh, education, such poor understanding of how to um, interrogate this, how to recognize that he is not real, that he is making money and reputation out of saying things that are abusive, cruel, wrong, and, and that it is not real. And because we don't build that into our systems, for the most part, most parents don't even have a clue what their children are looking at because that was not what they were looking at when they were young people themselves. As soon as a child has a smartphone, they are likely, or one of their friends has a smartphone, they are likely to be under the influence of pornography there and then. Most of that pornography is highly abusive. They are not given alternative ways of understanding it. A lot of children are not, some are. So they, ha so we are actually subverting their emotional development. I would go so far as to say we're denying them their rights to a, a rounded education as children, where we are not giving them the porn literacy information that they need, the understanding that this is not reality. And there are children who are taken in by uh, Andrew Tate, by others, and who are actually, their minds are being warped. Uh, and and their capacity to live full lives is being damaged because of the lack of alternatives. I would love to say we could get rid of porn. We can't. And there may be some people who can manage it perfectly, but a lot of the people accessing it cannot. And one okay. of the ways we have to put that to one side is by ensuring that children get decent education about it. Well, Louise Crowley, just to finish with you on that, and the likes of the Andrew Tates and other misogynists, how concerning is it that despite the efforts that we've made for improved conversations in recent decades, that he can appeal not necessarily just to teenagers, but to young men and older men who you would hope should know better? Yeah, it's really difficult, Matt, to challenge because it is so direct, the communication, and it goes to young people, but people also older. And it's really important that we don't just look at the impact on young people because this is a cross-generational issue. What I would say to you is that whilst it's difficult to stop it being received by those who have smartphones and other ways to access it, what we can control is the other information that people receive. And I know that um, through, for example, the bystander training that I run in 50 secondary schools across the country, delivered by teachers within the schools, it is built into those programs to allow young people to discuss what they see, to better understand the impact. And that is really critical in terms of their understanding of the damage and danger caused by this behaviour. It is really often when we start those conversations that young people, particularly young men, suddenly realise the impact not only of the behaviour that they're watching, but of the thoughts that are associated with it. I mean, one student in a secondary school said to the teacher when they had that conversation that he only ever thought that sexual harassment 
harassment had to be physical and never understood that verbal harassment was a problem or sending images was a problem. They didn't see that as sexual harassment. So really, Nolene is spot on that education is the key to this. And that is something we can control. And I think that education can be delivered at second level, third level and right across, as I said at the beginning, in industry, in workplaces, in sporting organisations, wherever people gather and can have these conversations, we can provide, you know, facilities to have those conversations through informed ways, in imaginative ways, whether through workshops or other ways, and allow people the opportunity. And my experience, undoubtedly, is that when people receive this information, they are really welcoming of it. They are quite relieved to better understand and to be equipped to respond, not just in company, but actually internally and emotionally themselves to what they are seeing and understanding the danger and the need to reject it. Professor Louise Crowley from the UCC School of Law, Director of the Bystander Intervention Programme and Nolene Blackwell from the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Thank you both very much for being with us here on The Last Word of Today FM. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.